Surviving outliers fell into step with the people of the keep. To maintain their feuds would be to remain in the memory of spilled blood, and no one much wanted to linger in such misery. Happy faces were worn all around. Harvest came in swollen, and so bellies were full across the keep. Couples stayed up late all through the long summer hours. Couples stayed up late through all the long summer hours, bodies twining into the promise of life beyond this now. Home distilleries spat out rot-tasting stuff that nonetheless turned strangers into giddy brothers and filled quiet hallways with rowdy celebrations of no clear purpose. Here we are, the bell of joy sang in no direction. Here we are, here we are. The people of the outliers at first had no clear idea of how to cope with a world that was not perpetually looking for ways to kill them. Gradually, they allowed themselves to relax, like a closed fist slowly loosening so it might reveal its palm. It made the woman Cassandra feel an immeasurable sort of gratitude to see her people embrace this life and be embraced in this way. Even Mustafa was starting to settle back in. The sting of his betrayal and exile, lessened by time, and the removal of the Mammoth Ray and the toady, Betsy Overby. But Cassandra could not help but feel troubled. She tried to pass it off as grief. Grief for all that had been lost. Grief for her beloved Priya Patel, swallowed by Inferno. But Cassandra knew enough from her life to keep her grief locked away in a compartment of her heart, where it could stay forever present without detracting from the needs of survival. This was something else. This was dread. She knew from all the stories that this was meant to be the end of her story. War won, villains vanquished, peace and harmony restored. 
anything else was relegated to epilogue. So why dread? Why this feeling, this certainty, that they had only just begun? And then there came the night when she woke from one formless dream into a second, firmer one. In this dream, she lay in her bed with her arms folded beneath her breasts. Then Priya Patel leaned into view. Hi, baby, she said. She wore inferno like a second skin. Cassandra tried to speak, tried to move, but nothing responded. Her lover stroked her cheeks. There was fire in that touch, delicious heat, and it soaked all through Cassandra's trembling body. I know you're afraid of what's going to happen, Priya Patel said. And you should be afraid, baby, so very afraid. What's coming next will be so much worse than what came before. And you'll have to be alone for it. Alone like you never were before. The warm hand touched next above Cassandra's heart. It made the muscle pulse twice as hard. Just know that you are never truly alone. I got my ticket, but I'm not checking in anytime soon. I will see you walk beneath the gold sun again. And then, and only then, will I turn my back on this world and make peace with the next mystery. Only then, baby. Only then. She leaned close, seeming so solid, so true. The weight of her, the smell, that feel of skin on skin that is unique as fingerprints, as snowflakes. Cassandra woke again the ghosts of old lips still clear against her own. Last time she had had such a dream, it was a warning of the coming kaiju. She had a feeling that whatever this was that was coming, the kaiju would seem like a flea on a dog's hide by comparison. She considered telling others, but what was there to say? And who was there to tell who would understand? Priya had always been the one to translate Cassandra's feelings and instincts into rational speak. But Priya was gone. Cassandra wasn't sure how she could be more alone than she already was. About the only resource she had left was the eclectic collection of homegrown gods like old King Croc, who maintained a somewhat charitable attitude towards the humans who had believed them into being. And it wasn't like she could just call them up. Cassandra was still stewing on this question of what to do when the decision was made for her. That was the day the sky began to fall.
it started with a sound. How to describe a sound with no noise? Like a high-frequency alarm emitting from an unspecified source. Like water in your ear that you just cannot shake loose. All through the keep, people clutched their heads and looked around in confusion. What was this? They ran out their doorways or onto balconies, searching for the source. They ran out their doors or onto balconies, searching for the source. There was none to be seen, but everyone who fled outside had front row seats as the black sun began to dim. Like a toddler rejecting sleep, the black sun flickered, opened, then began again to fade. The gray slate sky crawled across its surface, claiming this territory as its own. By now the people of the keep were screaming. The noiseless sound rose to a painful pitch, stabbing into eardrums. Blood flowed between clutching fingers. And in the midst of all this madness, the black sun shut. Everything stopped. The people of the keep climbed to shaky feet, their hands now moving to one another. You are still here. I am still here. We are still. A moment was spared to allow this calm. Just the one. Then the ground began to quake. From their balconies, they could see the midnight desert frothing like the sea in storm, dunes now pitching like waves. The storm threw up the ruins of the old city and plunged into the keep. Asphalt bent and fell in mad curls, while buildings bucked and tilted, weaving between each other with only desperate chance preventing collision. The quake struck again, as if giant hands gripped the city and whipped it up and down and back and forth. And oh, how the people screamed into the ending world, but there were no ears to hear their wailing. It was almost an afterthought when fire began to fall from the sky. Too much was going on for anyone to take especial notice of these missiles, but if anyone had, they would have noticed that the fiery chunks splashed where they struck rather than the more expected explosion. That would be because these meteors were not made of fractured space stone, but of flesh. Wads of flaming, writhing meat bombarded the city. Now there were no screams to be offered up. Bodies pressed to bodies, pressed low and tight under tables and doorways. There was only the cower, the quivering prayer, that no sweeping hand would strike away the world and pluck you wriggling from your life. Through all these cowering forms, the same thought coursed. What is this? What is this? The one person who knew was an artist named Colby Brenneman. He had been given access to the keep on account of the man McRae liking his landscapes. But his canvases had changed with time, as more and more he came to sense a roiling hatred behind his pristine scenic visions. When he attempted to paint the city in its lost state, 
always he stepped back from the canvas convinced that something watched him. He painted calmly as the end times shrieked outside his window. It had all come together for him that morning as did the knowledge of what having this knowledge would do to him. Colby Brenneman dabbed his brush one last time, polishing off his final paint stroke. Done. He set the completed painting aside so there would be no danger of it getting splashed. He took up a new blank canvas, pristine in its empty perfection. A million billion tendrils of hungry white slithered into the face. Colby Brenneman smiled. His skull exploded out through his face. Gore and meat and bone spackled the blank canvas, the dripping pathways of blood etching out one final masterpiece. time, even the end of the world must take a breather. The waves settled. The storm stilled. Slowly, the denizens of the city lifted their heads from their hiding places and edged nervously back into the day. Only, there was no day. The black sun stood shut. What is that? went up the new cry. For across the expanse of the gray slate sky were sketched drawn faces extended in pain and shock. A beak cracked with rage. A jagged maw snarled defiance. These images slipped away like chalk dust, but there was no denying what had been seen, only confusion over what it meant. Slowly, the people of the city took stock of the other changes the storm had wrought. The ground had belched up the sewer system. The labyrinth lay unspooled, all its dripping length now exposed. In the once barren midnight desert, a forest of black trees now grew. The night-shaded leaves stood frozen without the slightest breeze to offend them. But the real find came later, in the timeless day during a scouting mission into the ruined city. Cassandra was sent for. She crossed the line of unnerved faces to find that which had caused such a stir. The proud bird had been decapitated before its wings had been nailed to the blasted wall. Below it, the suit of scales had been thoroughly scrubbed. It made a dull, fapping sound as it swung in place. Cassandra supposed she did not have to guess who the tongues belonged to. The witch women, opposites and equals, always whispering and teasing at fate. No more whispers, no more teases. What does it mean? One of the scouts asked her. 
Cassandra had no idea how to answer that question. She knew the answer, of course. Here lay the new gods of the city beneath the black sun, the ones given shape and name by the outliers, and many within the keep as well, during the terrifying years when they needed to believe in something. The hawk, who appeared to the needy like a blazing angel. The witch woman and her dark sister, who appeared in the margins of other tales to push them along. Old King Croc. The gods had come through one final time before the inferno, spiriting away the children of the outliers so they might be spared the blaze, soon to claim almost all of their parents and loved ones. And for that mercy, Cassandra was sure they had been mightily punished by the nameless death god whose eye formed the black sun, who her father and Betsy Overby had served for so long. Perhaps the new gods had fought back, and this was why the black sun stood shut. But no matter the fate that befell the death god, this had been the last stand of the pantheon of the people. But how was she supposed to say that? How could she tell someone at this most desperate, terrible hour that they were truly alone at last? If the death god lived, and Cassandra was sure that his death would truly be the end of this world and all who lived there, then the human race was finished. It was only the matter of filing into his mouth one by one. How could she say that? How could she say that this, at last, was the end of hope? So she said nothing, preferring instead to return to her quarters, where she could quietly mourn all that had been lost and sacrificed in a war for life that would soon finish with nothing, nothing at all, to show for it. When Cassandra returned home, Mustafa was waiting with a painting. Benevolent gods screamed as they fell into a bottomless eye, its surface ringed with teeth. He told her what he thought. She told him what she knew. He sat down. So, he said, that's it. That's that, she said. Whatever protection or safeguards we had, they're all gone. And there aren't nearly enough of us left to will a new one into being. So that's it, he repeated. I guess all we do now is enjoy the time we have left. And wait. 
Cassandra wanted to say yes. Good Christ, Jesus, fuck God. All she wanted was to say yes to that. To set down all burdens and all struggles. How easy would it be at last to accept? And yet, she hesitated. Warm arms enfolded her waist. A touch she would never forget reminded her that even now, even after the end of the world, she was not truly alone. A voice she would always love whispered, I will see you walk beneath the gold sun again. And she knew then that she would not stop until the very last breath had been dragged out of her. This was the debt incurred by all those she loved and all those she had lost. Her life was her monument to them and to all that they had meant. But that still left the question of what to do, of what could even be done. She stepped towards the balcony and looked over the expanse of new forest. Beyond that, she knew, lay the desert. And beyond that, she didn't know. Nobody knew. We've been doing this wrong the whole time, she said. Almost a decade down here, and we've spent that whole time cowering and hiding. And when we weren't cowering and hiding, we were killing each other for whatever scraps were left. What do you propose we do instead? Mustafa asked. Let's leave. He stared at her, waiting for the punchline. I'm serious. Fuck this city. Let the death god have it. I say no more living in fear of what may crawl out of the dark or fall out of the sky. If I'm going to die, I'm going to die on my feet, moving forward, fighting for every inch that I can claim. That's, that's noble, Cassandra. But how are you going to convince the others? I'm not interested in convincing anyone anymore. I'm, I'm going to go for a walk. And, and anyone who wants to follow is welcome to come. Um, I'll admit, I'd walk a lot taller with you and your kid by my side. He said, you're insane. But he was smiling as he said it. I like the sound of that. On our feet, moving forward, fighting. And who knows, Cassandra said, maybe we'll even live. It felt good, the laugh they shared. As they finished, the gray slate sky cracked open. Black light rushed through the void. 
the black sun returned. But the real sight was just a little to the side. Another crack. Another rush. Another sun. Two eyes now sat in the sky above the city. Cassandra did not believe she imagined the hunger and the hate now glaring down at them, at her. Tell everyone, she said to Mustafa. Tell them it all. Tell them if they're right to stay, if they want to stay. But anyone who's had enough, pack a bag and pick out your sturdiest shoes. Because tomorrow, we are leaving the city beneath the black sun. Hi everybody, thank you for listening to another new episode of Black Sun Dispatches, part of the Cinepunks Podcast Network. My name is Brent Foley and I write, produce, and perform the show. Uh, as always, please head over to Cinepunks for all the other great podcasts and writing available. Uh, there's so much great content over at Cinepunks, uh, with Black Sun Dispatches only one very small part. Um, please go over there and please give it support to all the writers and recording people. Uh, you can donate to our Patreon, you can buy stuff from our uh, sponsors. Uh, anything that really helps, all of it really, really helps us out. So please uh, head over there. You can follow Black Sun Dispatches on Twitter at Black Sun Show. You can follow me on Twitter at the True Brendan F. Uh, and either way, it's really just a lot of me yelling about things that I love and that are being fed into uh, this show. The music in Black Sun Dispatches is Winter by Yell Heath, and our logo was designed by Jennifer Rogers. So, like I said, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Uh, please uh, tune in for our next episode in July, uh, probably end of July. Uh, as you can probably guess from this, uh, things are popping off and nothing will ever be quite the same thing again on this show. Uh, so hopefully for the better, <laughs> although uh, we'll find out together if it was for the better or worse. Right, so thank, well, once again, thanks everybody for listening. Uh, please rate and review the show if you get a chance. Uh, and I will see you all at our next episode. Thanks. Have a good one. Bye-bye.